Welcome to the Free Your Energy podcast. 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 I wanted to create a space where I could chat with thought leaders, spiritual luminaries, authors, and health and wellness experts to discuss how we can free ourselves spiritually, mentally, emotionally, physically, financially, and beyond. I care about mindset, movement, and positive relationships. And I created this podcast for people who also care about these topics and expansion. 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 Welcome to the Free Your Energy podcast. Thank you for joining us here today. You know, back in the day, I used to do big intros for my guests and just hype them up. And as, as much as I love doing that, I actually have come to a new conclusion. I feel like it's best that people just introduce themselves, you know? So with that being said, could you please tell us who you are, what you do, uh, and why you think you're here today? (laughs) Well, my name is Jillian Tarecki, and I am a relationship coach. I'm a yoga teacher turned relationship coach. And um, I have a a lot of things to say about relationships that I'm not shy about saying. So I think that that's why I'm here today. And Instagram, the, the great connector of Instagram, <laughs> social media. One, it so I've been on Instagram since 2012. So I've been through all the iterations of it. And like back oh in the God. day, I loved it. I loved it. It was a great app. I would say that it's still great. But it's beautiful that like these apps allow us to connect to people that we may not bump across, you know, naturally, like in the grocery stores or in our yoga studio. So I'm grateful for it that it's connected us. And then two, I didn't know you were a yoga teacher. I also am a certified yoga teacher, 200 level yoga teacher. I didn't know that you were. Really? Yeah. yeah. I, wow. I, yeah. I taught yoga for about 17 years. Um, wow. Yeah. 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 So, and I'm still an avid practitioner, um, but I started coaching a little over eight years ago and I was, it was like a transition. It's like I was slowly transitioning I was like doing both for a while, the coaching and the yoga teaching, which was great because I already had this audience already through my teaching. Um, so it was a great transition. And then COVID happened and it was just like, okay, well, all the yoga studios closed and I was moving in the direction of just wanting to coach full time anyway. So here I am. It's beautiful because yoga is about union. It's about the connection, mind, body, and soul. Yes. And having a great or healthy relationship is also about union. It's about being connected, especially within yourself. And so for me and us here on the Free Your Energy podcast, we're after healthy relationships. So could you define what a healthy relationship is? You know, the word healthy is vague. So I could know. you describe what does a healthy relationship mean? Um, what does it look like? What does it feel like? It is really vague because I think that everyone has a different, you know, what works for one couple in a relation and what works for one couple is not necessarily what works for another. So the way that I would define a healthy relationship is a relationship in which both people feel secure and they feel safe to be who it is that they are. And so there is a level of, there's still problems because every relationship has their issues and their problems, but fundamentally, there is a strong foundation where both people feel like they can mess up. We're not talking about seriously mess up and betrayal, but they can just, you know, make mistakes and they're going to be loved and accepted anyway, that they can really be exactly who they are. They still have to work on themselves. They still have to, you know, they still have to 
account for when they are acting like a total jerk or, you know, being wrong. But it is when people are, it's a healthy relationship is a secure relationship. And it's when people can feel safe to be who they are. That's how, that's how I would define a healthy relationship. So if you were not given that in your childhood, mm-hmm. that could be difficult for you to create or find or even recognize in adulthood. Yes, it can be. Though I have to say, I you know, because I've worked with thousands now and there are people with all types of backgrounds having great relationships. And so it's not, a, it's definitely not a sentence if you had a rough childhood or you your needs were not met as a child or there was a lot of insecurity um, growing up as a child, that does not necessarily mean that you're going to have unhealthy relationships. Now, everyone has had, you know, there's the, ins- there's various degrees of trauma growing up, you know, what's trauma for one person is really not trauma for another. And then there are certain things that, that children are raised within where anyone looking at it would be like, wow, that's traumatic. I can't even relate to that. That's so dramatic, but, um, you are not, your, your childhood does not define you. I really, really believe that. But that being said, there are, if you are struggling to have healthy relationships, if you're struggling to um, be attracted to people who want to love you in the way that you want to be loved, if you are constantly acting out in your relationships, yes, you can trace it back to something that happened in childhood, something that you learned, a belief system that you learned, something that you didn't get. Um, so yes, for sure. I think that, you know, if you're, when, whenever we're having a hard time in relationships, we have to be able to look in the mirror and say, oh, I guess the problem is me. Where, why, why, why is, why do I have this problem? Why am I doing this? But it's really important in that process you don't that you investigate the why, you explore that. Some people will be exploring their childhoods for the first time ever. Other people will be so stuck in the process of examining their childhood that they're not changing any behavior. So it's really about meeting people where they're at, but it's important that anyone can have a healthy relationship. And I have seen people come from really, um, really sad childhoods where their parents neglected them or they abused them and they're in a really healthy relationship now. So it's really how we relate to our childhoods and how much awareness we have and the decisions that we make. I mean, some people, they'll be raised by, you know, a mom or a dad who was very neglectful or maybe even abusive. And they might say, I'll never be like that. I'm going to do just the opposite. And they find someone who wants that too, right? So it's not always a pathology. So I just feel like I have to say that because so many people will say, well, oh my God, you know, this happened in my childhood. I'm never going to have a healthy relationship. It's not true. It's how you relate to it. And it's how, how willing you are to look at the behavior that you have that's not working for you, the patterns and be willing to do things differently. 
Okay, so maybe we could stay there for a second. So let's just create a, a hypothetical uh, person that you and I would be coaching here. Maybe their situation is that uh, maybe they didn't have the best examples in their childhood of what a healthy relationship looks like, but this person has some self-awareness and they can recognize like, okay, I don't want that. I definitely want this. I don't want that. As far as, you know, mm-hmm. determining what they want in a healthy relationship, but their actual experiences, they weren't able to create a healthy relationship. They, they had some maybe codependency or there was like some toxic communication, some resentment, um, not speaking up, not being your full self in the relationship. And so let's just say that person is listening to this podcast and they're like, hey, okay, I messed up a little bit and I came from some crazy stuff, but I'm ready. Like I'm ready to step into myself and to step into the energy and mindset that is going to take to create a healthy relationship. What would you say is one, the the first step of that? And then two, what are some of the things that they should be doing in their dating process to create the healthy relationship that they're looking for? Great question. So number one, invest in help. And that could be in books. If you don't have the financial means to hire a coach or a therapist, that could be in listening to like your podcast, for example, you know, like it could be listening to my podcast. It could be listening to any sort of relationship or, or personal development podcast, reading all the books, watching all the people on YouTube, watching people on Instagram. So I'm sure you can relate to this. There's nothing more exciting than um, meeting someone who's like, I'm taking responsibility and I'm ready to change. Like that's like the coach is like, that's like a dream, right? It's a dream because it actually makes our job almost too easy. Um, So that's when it's like, okay, great. Start learning the skills, invest in yourself. If you do have the financial means, hire the coach, hire the therapist and get to the bottom of, the things that you do, you have to be able to identify the patterns that you have been um, practicing probably for a really long time that are not serving you. And some of them might be emotional patterns. Like, you know, a, a very common one is someone's in a relationship and it's like they don't, they can't, they're constantly triggered. They're just a walking trigger and they're constantly reacting and pulling away and they have all this resentment and all these rules basically because, you know, they just don't know any better. So that would be, you know, so looking into their emotional patterns, maybe someone's pattern is like, I'm really, you know, they're really attracted to people who are not right for them or the people who are not interested in them. I mean, a lot of people will go out and say, you know, I'm to- I'm always attracted to an emotionally unavailable person. Well, chances are you're really just attracted to the person who's not that into you and you chase them. And then you say, okay, they're emotionally unavailable as opposed to you being like, well, no, um, they're just actually not into me, but they're, you know, they're keeping me around because it's convenient right? So it's about breaking those patterns. So those are, those are the first steps. And then the second question you asked, if can you just remind me like what, what they can do? Yeah. So when they start stepping into their dating process, what are some of the things they should be doing or being mindful of to create the healthy relationship? Yes. Okay. So, um, first be mindful of who you want to be in a relationship, not just what it is that you expect in someone else. So just being mindful of that. Um, so I'll give you an example. This, this is just an example based on a lot of the people 
who I work with. And this is both men and women, but I would say that, you know, the majority of my clientele are women, but I do actually work with a fair amount of men. But this is what I've been seeing in women a lot. This is just an example. So um, let's just say I'm working with someone and she is always attracted to the men who break her heart or to the women who break her heart. And it's just, it just keeps on happening. Maybe she's constantly friend zoned. Maybe she's just constantly finds him chasing his attention. Maybe he's aloof. You know, she's just always finding herself in situations where she becomes needy of someone's attention and she hates herself for it because that's not who she really is. In all other areas of her life, she's actually quite confident she's competent, she's attractive. And so she's not understanding why, you know, she, she might get these men to be attracted to her. She might have no problem getting laid, right? But she is absolutely like, they're not sticking around. So one of the things that I would have that women work on is if that's her pattern, she can't go for the person who she's head over heels attracted to. You know, I attraction is very important. So I don't want anyone, any of your listeners to misunderstand what I'm saying here. You have to have chemistry with someone. If you don't, then it's just a friendship. If sex and sexual connection is important to you, then there has to be chemistry. But the person who makes you lose your mind, right? Where you're just like over the top attracted to, and that's a pattern of yours. It's like you get over, it's all this chemistry and then nothing else. You can't trust that in yourself anymore. You actually have to question those butterflies. And so that woman, what the advice that I give her is, instead of going from, you know, your genitals to your brain, to your heart, to your brain, you need to meet someone and say, oh, I think there's something intriguing about them. I find them interesting. I'm not turned off by them, but they're not, I'm not over the top turned on by them. Great. Give them a chance. Give them a chance. And as you spend more time with them, notice, are you feeling comfortable to be yourself around them? Are they growing on you? Are, do you feel safe to be yourself around them? Can you express an opinion around them? Are you feeling an emotional connection? And that's the person that you have to learn. You have to recondition. That woman has to recondition herself to be attracted to someone who is interested in her, not boring, but has other things to offer and actually wants to be in something with her. And what she's going to be confronted in, what she's going to be confronted with inside of herself is fear of intimacy. Because all this time, this woman, this woman who I'm using as an example, has been wanting and craving intimacy so much from these men who on the surface may have seemed like they were very masculine or very protective or very beautiful if she dates women, but there's no substance underneath or there's no substance that they're sharing with her underneath. And so it's been very safe for her in a way because she hasn't actually had to be vulnerable. She hasn't had to actually be in something healthy. So it's not so much that healthy is boring. 
Um, and if it is, you know, if you're used to, let's say, drama and chaos, then it would be about understanding your childhood and why you've been conditioned that way. So you recondition yourself and you train yourself to be in a situation where you can receive love from someone. And I've seen it happen. I just recently interviewed a client of mine on my podcast where she used to just be attracted to either toxic men or men who are just not that into her. And all she wanted was a healthy relationship. And this really amazing man entered her life and it, and she did everything she could to push him away in the beginning until finally, because we worked together, she surrendered. She said, this is me. I've been so afraid. This is my fear of intimacy. This is a me problem. This isn't about men. All men are this or all women are that. This is a me problem. And I need to just let someone actually care about me. And once she let go and surrendered, and it took a few weeks and it was a few steps forward, a few steps back. Now it's like, they're amazing. So that's a really long answer, but that's just to give an example of how you go about it with dating is, well, maybe you don't just base everything on chemistry and you base it more on do I find this person interesting and am I interested in getting to know them a little bit more instead of it be this over-the-top connection that has to happen right off the bat? It's overrated. I appreciate and love seeing you channel your heart and your brain as you dive into the subject. Just as a creative, it's beautiful to watch another creative go to that space where they're channeling, you know? So uh, thank you for sharing that. We love long answers here, so feel free. <laughs> okay, good. Uh, you're making me think about what you just ended on when you're talking about th uh, things being overrated. You're making me think about dating apps. And I want to get your perspective on, and I don't know if it needs to be posed as a dating apps versus meeting people in real life. I don't know if it needs to be a competition, but I'm just curious to get your perspective on dating apps do you tell your clients to use them? Do you tell your clients to get off of them? How do you navigate that as a relationship coach? Sure. So if it depends, and it's, you know, I hate to use this over, overused term in the coaching world, but it really depends on the person's mindset. If they have been on the apps constantly and they're burnt out, my advice to them is get, like, you need a break. You need a digital break. You need to get off of it. You have to stop using swiping as a way to numb yourself. Um, you just need to get off because I, because I think the swiping can definitely be almost like an addiction and it can be an addiction for a lot of people because they're getting attention. They're seeing where they're getting attention or they're seeing where they're not getting attention. So it's this constant battle, this internal conf battle of like dopamine hits from attention and then feeling rejected and then dopamine and then feeling rejected. And it is a really, really toxic and unhealthy cycle for a lot of people. But then there's the person who's like, really wants to put themselves out there and hasn't been on the apps. And I'm like, get on the apps. Cause I do know people who found love on the apps. I really do. But you have to have the mindset of this is, I'm going to have fun with this. I'm not going to let my desperation to find someone and meet someone overcome the process for me. 
And if it is, that means I need to get off the apps because feeling desperate, it's, you know, desperation and being desperate has obviously such a negative connotation and no one wants to be associated with that. But I think if we were to be very truthful with ourselves, we've all felt desperate at times for, for attention, for love, for a relationship. And we always have to, there are going to be times where we have to um, reconcile with that with that icky feeling of like, oh my God, I'm desperate. But it's so important not to be, because number one, it's going to mess with your, it's going to mess with your judgment. The more desperate you are, the more you are going to tolerate um, crappy behavior or crumbs from someone. You're going to say, oh, well, you know, at least it's better than nothing. Um, I would love everyone to adopt the, the mindset that nothing, no relationship is far better than a crappy relationship. I mean, you know, I just want people not to be, to not want to be consumed by that. So as far as the apps are concerned, be very honest in your dating profile. You have kids, put pictures of you and your kids on the profile. You want a relationship? Be very, very honest about that. You want something casual? Be very honest about that. You're just looking for friendship? Be very honest about that. And uh, make sure that you are, <laughs> you know, women are always, or I mean, my, you know, my, my, my clients who date men are always saying like, he's always saying he's taller than he is. And then the biggest complaint... <laughs> The biggest complaint with women is that I see them like posting pictures of them, like all dolled up with all this makeup and, and highly sexualized. It's like, no, you don't want to magnetize the person who just wants you for your body. Like you want to be, you need some pictures of you that you're like, where you're have where you're just you, like truly you happy, makeup free hair in a bun and there's a picture capturing you in a moment where you feel closest to who you really are. And so authenticity always wins and get off of them if you're feeling burnt out and desperate. Thank you so much for that response. I love the depth of it. I love the attention to the detail. And I want to add something to it. This is coming from a heteronormative lens. Um, I grew up in, I was born in the 80s, grew up in the 90s. Uh, and so technology didn't come into my life until much later, until I was in my 20s, I didn't have a cell phone. Uh, and so I'm grateful for that, for my experience when it came to meeting girls, talking to girls, it had to be in person. You know, if I saw a girl that was cute and I wanted to talk to her, I literally had to go up to her and learn that skill. And there's something about the emotions that come with that. The anxiety of knowing that you're about to go talk to a pretty girl the confidence to know that you can make her laugh or have a conversation with her or allow her to, you know, feel comfortable in the space with you for initial an initial meeting. Um, and then obviously after the initial meeting, continuing to call her or ask her on a date, like it's, it's anxiety it, it, and it's good though. Like, and so any guys listening to this or even any women listen to this, but specifically any men listen to this, if you're not feeling that experience in your dating process, I want to encourage you to put the apps down as well and to 
to approach the person at Whole Foods, to maybe talk to someone at the gym, or maybe if you're out for a walk and you see someone, maybe you have your dog and she has a dog, and maybe you just say, hey, what kind of dog is that? You know, because there's something that's so deeply beautiful about overcoming that anxiety and that fear, and then just recognizing like, oh, wow, this is actually not that bad. I'm just saying hi to a pretty girl. I'm putting myself out there, which gives you more confidence. It gives you more practice. And again, like you, you know, we know that people find love on the dating apps, but there's nothing better than having that spark in real life just naturally happen. You know, so I just want to invite people back to that because I know the world that we're in, we're in this world where it's like, oh, we're busy. We're busy. We're busy. We're busy. Okay. Let's not be too busy for something that's so important, like human connection. I just wanted to add that to. I'm so glad that you added that. That's beautiful. Um, I, I couldn't agree with you more. And I don't think that people give men enough credit for the courage that it takes to risk being rejected every time they go up. You know, uh, the women who want to be pursued are, are, and women who date men usually want to be pursued. And they're like, I don't know, we're not being pursued. No, he's not coming up to me. It's like, well, because he doesn't think that you're going to, you know, he's afraid of rejection. And so they don't understand how much courage it takes. And so, and yeah, and it's really, I want to say like, even for a woman, it's like, you can go up to, you can be very creative. Like you can go up to a man like in a restaurant or on the street and just say, here's my number. I'd love for you to call me sometime. You know, like having that kind of courage, you can go up to someone on, in, in the grocery store, Whole Foods and just say, I think you're really cute. Here's my number. Call me sometime. As opposed to, you know, she might not be comfortable saying, can I have your number so I can call you or, you know, or like, you know, whatever it is. But there is so much to that. I mean, I really miss like letters yeah. <laughs> and like, you know, like notes, you know, like before there was, I mean, yeah, I mean, I'm like you, it's like, I, when I first started dating, there was no email <laughs> and there was certainly no cell phones. So, mm-hmm. um, just like the handwritten notes and going up to people is, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know if some of the younger generations are actually going to do that because they're so entrenched in technology. But I, I do think there's so much value in that. Yeah. You're, you just you just triggered a, a memory. Uh, <laughs> so I'm going to tell this story because I feel like it aligns with what you're saying. So there was this, this was high school. I think I was a sophomore in high school. And I saw this really cute girl. I'm like, oh, who's this? She looked like Aaliyah, the singer Aaliyah. I know. Um, she was light skinned. She was just really cute. And so I just go up to her. I'm just like, all right, just my natural instincts that I couldn't even name at the time. They just took over. I just go up to her. And I was like, hey, uh, can I talk to you for a second? She's like, yeah, sure. <laughs> you know, we're kids, right? So I was like, let's sit right here. I want to draw you a picture. So I literally picked up like the chalk and the rocks that were on the ground. And I drew a picture. I was like, okay, that's you. I know it's a bad stick figure, but that's you. And then this is me. And I had like a little fro at the time. I'm like, this is me with the little fro. And she just starts like giggling and laughing. She's like, what the hell is this dude doing? And then I erased it. And then I drew them closer together. I'm like, this is what we need to do. We need to come together. And I was like, do you think you could be my girlfriend? Like literally, I just met her like 15 minutes ago. 
And she was like, all right, cool. So we ended up dating for two years in high school. <laughs> we ended up dating for two years in high school. A lot of game. I mean, yeah, that's like, especially in high school, like, wow. You need to do a course on like teaching men how to like have some real game. It, that was, it was so corny, but it worked, you know, ended up meeting her, meeting her mom, her dad, her uncles. Like I became a part of her family. She became a part of mine. We dated for two years in high school. And when you, what, what triggered that was when you said the notes, because I, w- I will remember being in like my third period class and I'd write her a letter or write her a letter. We meet in the halls and I would give her, and, you know, I was a football player. So I would fold it up like a little paper football and then and, and give it to her. Wow. So anyone listening to this, this is your invitation. Write a letter today. Write a yep. letter to your wife. Write a letter to your husband. You got a crush? Write a letter. Put that letter out there in the universe. Letters work. They work. Hello, my friend. I would like to invite you to support the podcast. Go to sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. sylvestermcnutt.net slash podcast. And you could subscribe to the podcast. It's eight dollars and eighty eight cents. This money will go towards the web service that I use, my engineer, everything that we need to edit and everything that we need to bring you the best show possible. If you're a supporter of what we're doing and you love the work here, you can support for eight dollars and eighty eight cents at SylvesterMcNutt.net slash podcast. Now let's get back to the episode. OK, so let me ask you this. You mentioned Go, uh, a, a lady going up to a man. I'm trying to picture this. I'm trying to see this. I feel like, I honestly feel like as a man who's dated at many different generations and ages of my life, I feel like the women who showed that they were more into me, I feel like we had an easier time connecting. I feel like there was instant chemistry and I feel like communication was easier. And the women who I feel like I had to like pursue, 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 Mm -hmm. like it required a lot more work. And eventually it wasn't really as worth it. Yes. Yeah. Maybe you could speak to that from your, your perspective, what you're seeing, what you're noticing about that. Yeah. So there's a difference between pursuing and chasing. And I think that when you, let's just say, you have two people and one person is more interested in being the initiator, let's say, and the other person likes to be pursued. It ends up being something that feels really good to both people and not draining when they're engaging in this sort of dance together versus a game. And the game would be like so many women have been given the message that you have to play hard to get, that you have to act like you're not interested because that's going to get him to be more interested in you, which by the way, is true temporarily. Mm. Okay. And it's going to be true for the guy who maybe feels is not that grounded or is a little obsessed with you or is just used to doing that, but it's never going to actually work out in your favor. And if you're trying to play hard to get with the guy who has a strong sense of self, you're going to bore the hell out of him. But we've been given that messaging that we have to like act like we don't care 
And that's not true. The flip side is desperation. It's the woman waiting by the phone for the person to call her. It's stopping her whole life because she's focusing too much on him or her. It's, it's basically her not having a life that she's living and making it all about getting the guy and wanting to be chosen. So she's doing all these, <laughs> sorry, it's my dog. She's, she's engaging in all these sort of subconscious, a lot of them, a lot of them are unconscious, not subconscious, but a lot of them are unconscious strategies to get him. It's usually a him, but sometimes it's a her too, to be more interested in her. And some of those strategies, a lot of those strategies have been conditioned in her. Um, strategies such as, like I said, play hard to get, don't act interested, be a little bitchy, um, lure them, lure him in with your sexuality, you know, be highly sexualized, all of, all of that. Uh, make sure that you're perfect. Make sure that you're beautiful. Some women have gotten the, the, the messaging, give him more. Show, show him what a nurturing, kind person you are and just give, give, give him more. That's, that's going to make the, a man just basically be passive. It's the wrong strategy. Instead of, instead of, oh, like I actually have a life. I'm interested in this person. I find them attractive. I'm going to let them know that I find them attractive. There's not, there's, they're not, they're not going to be wondering at all if I'm interested. They're going to know I'm interested, but they're also going to know that like I have a life and not anyone is invited into it. Mm. Mm -hmm. And so that's the difference. And I think when you're pursuing, if you're like yourself pursuing a woman and you know, like she's interested, she's into you, but she's not desperate or she's not strategizing or playing games, but you also know, and maybe it's not a conscious knowing that like, she's got a standard. <laughs> she's got a life. Like you actually like, you can't, you can't just be a cute face and, you know, say cute things to her, like you actually have to be someone of substance for her to really open her heart to you. And I think that's where it, that feels good because then you, then it's like you like her and you're like, oh, like I want to be that. And so there, and therefore both people are feeling good. It's like both people are, are feeling, are feeling from the other that there's an attraction, that there is an interest and that, um, but there's no desperation. You're not desperate and chasing and the other person's not desperate and strategizing. I love that because when you let go of both of those things, what you have is just an authentic connection. Yes. And that's which, where- Which could have pursuing, which could have, like you could still be initiating. You could still be like the one that picked in the beginning. You could still be- the word that I want to use is courting. You could still court and they would be lovely and you'd be liking it because you're like, oh, I want to do this. This feels good to do it because she's loving it. She's receptive to it. She's, she's, she wants it from me and she's letting it, she's letting me know that she wants it from me. Am I right? Yeah. Oh yeah. 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 So this is a big question that I feel like is not in the mainframe that needs to be brought out. 
you're at a date, you're at dinner, you're getting sushi, you're, you're getting drinks, whatever it is. And you see people doing this. <laughs> They've got the cell phone out and they're at a date. Now, let's just be honest. We don't know what they're doing. They might be looking at the menu. I, mm-hmm. I always say, give me a paper menu. You know, they might be looking at the menu. Uh, they might be checking their bank account to make sure they can afford to date. Right. <laughs> they might be they might be checking on their kids. They might be. Yes. Right? We don't we don't know what they're doing. So we can't mm-hmm. assume. We cannot assume. But we have all seen people who just sit on their phone like this yes. during the date. Yes. And I'm trying to make sure that we're not looking at this from a judgmental lens because, again, they they might be five years deep in their relationship. They've been together all day and they just wanted to eat together. But, you know, kind of just be in their spots. You know what I mean? So I'm just curious in the beginning uh, in a dating situation, what's your perspective on the whole cell phone thing? Uh, How do you view it as a dating coach? Okay, Um, put the phone away. If you're a parent, you can say, I just have to check my phone like two or three times during the course of this dinner just to make sure my babysitter is not reaching out to me. Other than that, the phone goes away. There is nothing more attractive than someone really being present with you. And there's nothing more... Um, bothersome than being on a date with someone, regardless if it's a first date or a 20th date and feeling like their attention is elsewhere. It's just, it's just a terrible, it's terrible for connection. It really, really is. I mean, I, I'm guilty of it too, right? So it's not a judgment, but we have to call it, we have to call it. And it's, it's terrible. Put the phone away. Not on the not on the table, face down, away. I love it. I agree 100%. Yeah. 100%. So, let's let's do this. Let's do a little game. You're going to come up with 3 and I'm going to come up with 2. Let's give the people listening five great first date uh things to do. And then I want to transition to a few questions about people who have been in relationships for a while. Because we know we have different questions when you've been in relationships yeah. for a while. Uh, so I'll go first. I'll say that a great first date will be going for a walk and taking a yoga class. Love it. Okay. A great first date, uh, really, it depends where you live. So if you live somewhere like, you know, near mountains, go for a hike. If you live in an urban environment, go check out some art together. Ooh. The art date is so good. Oh, that's such a good date. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Uh, Number three, I would say, I would say that this depends on your comfort level with the person Mm -hmm. um, and how well you know them. If you're not comfortable enough to like go to their place, take a cooking class together at like, uh, you know, a place where they do that. If you're comfortable enough going to their place, definitely cook something together. Like cooking together is fun. It's a lot of fun. That is great. I love that. I love that. Let's see. You can go bowling. Bowling you is fun. Here's the thing, though. If you are like 
an excellent bowler. We need to know this ahead of time. We do need to know this ahead of time. Definitely. Definitely. Well, that's the same thing with yoga. You could be doing yoga together with someone who's been practicing for 20 years and then you're like in the corner puffing and puffing and like sweating through your mat and like your mat is like cooling with with sweat and you're like, feel so embarrassed. Yeah, but you could definitely like do it depends. Like if you you go for a bike ride together. Oh yeah. Riding bikes is fun. You can go for a bike ride together. Um, you know, and if you're both foodies, go have a meal. Go out for dinner. Yes. And I also think, I know we're kind of, you know, I also like the idea of breakfast dates. Mm. Because it removes alcohol. And I think that that's important because alcohol will make you feel attracted to someone who you normally wouldn't be attracted to or who might not be right for you. And so, and also alcohol, we, you know, we're not authentic when we're under the influence. So if you can go on a breakfast date and, you know, you, that means that like as a woman, you're not putting on the sexy outfit, you're not putting all the makeup. So there's just a level of realness there and you're having coffee and eggs or whatever it is that you eat for breakfast instead of um, a bottle of wine, which can really cloud your judgment. I love that. I love that. Go put the wine down, go get a croissant. Exactly. <laughs> I love it. <laughs> Okay, so let's transition to um, people who have been in a relationship for a while. And let's just assume um, that the person listening here on the Free Your Energy podcast, their relationship is, is good. It's not bad, but it's good. But they want more out of their relationship, right? Uh, where do we begin when we want more out of our relationship that's good? It's not bad. It's not bad. But it, we need more out of it. We've been okay. in it for, let's say, three years or maybe five years or maybe ten even 10 years. years. Yeah, yeah. Like and yeah. we want more out of it because, okay. you know, as you're. Yeah, go ahead. Go ahead. No, no. Sorry. Sorry. I didn't mean to interrupt. No, I was going to say, you know, we go through different phases of relationships, you know. And so I'm just curious yeah. when we tap into this. Hey, we've been together for a while. We want more. What yes. do we do? OK, so first, usually. Almost always. Long-term relationship that's good, but we want more. Really, the more that the people are referring to is we want more passion. The good is referring to the fact that you you, um, problem solve well together. You maybe manage the household together really well. You do partnership really well. But the lover part and and the fun part and the passion part is lagging. Usually, I mean, pretty much every single time, that's what people want more of. They want more of the novelty back. So that's when you have to, well, there's a few things. If you're, if this is like a marriage, you have kids, you may have to just be really practical and schedule sex, for example, or schedule times where you're going to really connect like date nights and stuff like that. And people will say, well, you know, sex should be spontaneous and this and that. And like, yeah, you know, it's great in the beginning when all of that connection is spontaneous, but guess what? That doesn't last with anyone. It just doesn't. 
And you could definitely make the decision where you're just going to do a series of six-month relationships so you can have that all the time. But guess what? After after like that third six-month relationship or even second, whatever, you're going to feel empty inside. So just know that like all that, all that, that, um, that energy in the beginning does start to go away. But part of the reason why it goes away is because people aren't prioritizing it. They're thinking, I just want it to just be there because in the beginning it is just there instead of actually creating that. And the way that you create it is first seeing like how, if, how has the magic gone out in you? Like, have you become boring? Because a lot of people will say, you know, I want more. I need more. I'm just like, it's gotten a little stale. It's gotten a little boring. My first question is always, how have you become boring? How have you become a boring partner? Are you always like putting on your sweatpants and like throwing on Netflix and like getting out the popcorn every single night? You know, whereas in the beginning you were like down to do some really fun stuff. So wanting more usually, like I said, is wanting more passion. So scheduling it, um, doing things, doing more fun things together, being more of the fun person that you were in the beginning of the relationship, you know, like putting on their favorite perfume, like you may not love that perfume, but your partner loves it. So the people I know who are really smart in their relationships, they're going to be at least a few days out of the week wearing that thing that they may not love, but they know their partner loves it. That's not them betraying themselves. <laughs> That's them being really smart and loving. You know, so we stop kind of doing that and we get bogged down by routine and ritual. And so we have to generate more motivation within ourselves. Like it has to be self-generated because in the beginning, the, in the falling in love stage, it's like, it's effortless. And that's why it's so blissful. And we're like, oh yeah, you know, like I'm not stressed out. Like that problem that I've had for the last 10 years of my life, no big deal because this is so amazing. Well, guess what? As soon as you exit the falling in love stage and you enter the more committed long-term phase of the relationship, that problem that you've had for 10 years is coming back and your partner and that relationship is not responsible for actually solving it or fixing it. It fixed it in the beginning because you were under, a, you were in a trance, the trance that happens in the beginning when you're falling in love and you think everything is wonderful and your partner is perfect. And then it's like all the other stuff comes in. So it's a combination of being more of who you were in the beginning and doing more of the things that you did in the beginning of the relationship, as well as being pragmatic and practical and proactive and being like, no, we got to do this. Like, let's do this. Let's bring more novelty into the relationship. Let's do more so that we can have more. I love that. And I have one quick follow-up to that. So let's just say we're in the relationship. We hear what you're saying. We're like, okay, we need to be more fun. We need to be more spontaneous. We need to prioritize the novelty and the, and the passion. Is that something that a person should take upon themselves? Or do you believe that that's a, a conversation they should bring up um, and then kind of have that 
that conversation within the vessel of the relationship? Great question. It's a combination of both. Um, I think that you can do both at the same time. I think you can have that conversation with yourself. You know, it's kind of, it's like, I always talk about, you know, you have to have the tough and honest conversations, but it's not always with your partner. Sometimes you have to have that, that honest conversation with yourself and be like, okay, am I, am I bringing my C game when I really should be bringing my A game? Like, what can I be doing differently? And then, yeah, I do think it's something, you know, that's because if it's a good relationship, that means the partnership is good. And so if the partnership is good, that means that you can sit down and be like, hey, let's talk about this. I think we can, I think we could be better about scheduling sex. I think that we need to bring more date nights in. What do you think? Um, here's what I am really willing to do differently. Like, what do you think we should do? And then, then it can be the concerted effort between the two people to make a difference. And that's definitely applies to people who have busy lives, especially if they have, if they're parents, you know, just trying to juggle parenting with, with that. And it really helps the kids. It helps children to see their parents connecting. Like children can pick up on when their parents are having sex a lot. They can't understand, they, they can't put words to it, but they pick up on that energy and it's really positive. I 100% agree with that uh, for two reasons. Um, one, I have a kid, he's three years old. You do? And so yeah, he gets to see me and mom's interactions. And so it's like, I'll be giving her a hug and he'll just run up and he's like, oh, I need a hug too. You Aww. know, and he'll, he'll run in and try to get a hug. And then me growing up, I got to see two sets of parents, like my parents. I saw them happy, healthy, and in love and taking care of each other and nourishing each other, as well as they turned into addicts, alcoholic addicts, and they became destructive and toxic and aggressive and violent. And so I got to watch these two. I saw both. Literally the first seven years of my life, it was like the perfect family system. But then the next seven, up until I was 14, it was just destruction. And so that's what really prompted me to do the work that I do because I was so curious, like, wow, how did they, I couldn't understand it. I didn't have the language for it, but I recognized it. I'm like, what the heck is happening? Like, it was great. And then now it's not great. What happened? That literally is why I do the work that I do because I was curious, like, what happened? So what you just said, I 100% agree is like children are watching, you know, the interactions that happen. And that, that makes me think about uh, my next question, which is repair. So in any type of relationship, uh, there's going to be opportunities to repair, right? There may be um, betrayal. There may be lying because every human being lies. Uh, there may be um, any, a, a number of things that can happen. And then we have the opportunity to repair the relationships. So I'm curious, uh, two things, you know, one, what do you see uh, as like the best way to go about repairing a relationship? And then two, is there anything that you experienced like in your personal life uh, that led to a really healthy repair? So I think the first principle of repair is it's a combination of I am accountable and I want something to, and I want to change. I want something to be better because repair only happens if two people are on board with the repair. 
And it can only happen if two people can, can own their stuff and stop blaming. So that is absolutely critical. Am I answering your question with that? Just want to make sure. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah okay. Yeah. Um, so that's, that's critical. And I have seen, I've seen really magical things happen. I've seen people come from the brink of divorce to having really great relationships because they were accountable. And what I mean by accountability is not only saying, you know, I'm, wow, I've been doing this. This hasn't been helping, but going the extra step and doing something about it. Right. Like I, I worked with a couple where, you know, one person was just not doing what it is that he needed to do to be happy in life. You know, he got really, really complacent and he fell into a, a really big rut and he wasn't evolving. He was stuck. But it was like the elephant, his stuckness was sort of like the elephant in the room. And she was complicit in that because she wasn't really addressing it. And it was once that they were both able to be accountable for letting the elephant in the room be there for too long. And he was able to actually be like, my goal is to get myself out of this rut. I'm going to do whatever it takes not only to get out of this rut, but to make sure that I never go this deep in the rut ever again. And so that's how those are like deeper repairs. Um, sort of micro repairs, like there's like, you know, little like, so it's not like this big thing where you're facing divorce or separation, but just like, I don't know, you're arguing or you get into a little tiff. You know, it's the great, 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 greatest strategy for something like that. Tell a joke. Like turn it playful. That doesn't mean that you do that all the time. That doesn't mean that you turn everything, everything serious into a joke, but like humor is a really great, great pattern interrupt because when two people are bickering, they're just in a pattern. They're both stressed out. They're both like in, you know, they're just stressed and in their heads and taking it out on each other. And if one person could just be like, do you have to fart? You know, like, or just like crack a joke or like, or just like, you know, be like, I mean, I was in a relationship once with someone who was really, really great at that. And I really appreciated it so much. It was like, we'd be like, you know, in something not super heated, but like kind of getting there, like, you know, like we're arguing and he would all of a sudden just be like, oh, honey, just give me a hug. And I, I, if that, if I had been in that relationship, if I was younger, I probably would have been like, no, you need to hear my point and blah, blah, blah. But I really appreciated it because it just, it was like, oh yeah, you're right. We just need to, we just need a hug. Like, we just need to like drop this. And, or he would like tell, like he would tell a joke or he would just like start smiling and laughing. And then we would just start laughing. And I just thought that that was very... It's like he didn't even know that that was sophisticated communication or sophisticated relationship skill, but it, it is actually quite sophisticated, smart. 
So yeah, and does that answer the second part of the question? But I think there was something else to the second part of the question about my personal life. No, yeah. that yeah, that answered it. I was curious okay. about something you have experienced in your personal yeah. life, and that yeah, that names it right there. So I I have like a million more questions uh, that I'm not <laughs> going to get to just out of the respect of our time here. So I'm going to end with two questions, okay? Sure. So the first one is about you. It's about your life specifically. Uh, what's one thing that you have not done yet that you need to do? Mm. God, there's just so much flooding my brain right now. Well, the first thing that comes to my mind is just like travel stuff because they're just places that I want to, they're just places that I really, really, really want to see. I made a promise to myself that I would write these two books. And so now I'm like starting to write my book proposal for something. So that, 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 that would be one thing, you know, I just said I was going to do it and it's a, it's kind of a grueling process. I don't know if it was a grueling process for you too. I mean, I remember listening to, um, I think it was Tim Ferriss talking about, you have to really want to write this if, um, because otherwise you're going to want to give up because it's grueling, like, and just preparing all your thoughts for the grueling. So that's, that's one thing. And I've committed to myself too. And I really want to do some travel stuff. And to be honest, I'm sure after this interview, I'm going to think of something and I'm going to email you and be like, no, what I really meant to say was this. But those are things that came to my mind. Well, I'm putting you on the spot. So I appreciate it. <laughs> it's um, okay. I just turned in my book proposal to my 10th book. I just turned it in wow. last week. It took me like eight months to write it. It was brutal. I've been, I pretty much wrote it the whole year. Wow. And yeah, it's I was sending brutal. Yeah, it was, it's, it was actually, I would say that writing this book proposal was harder than writing any other book that I've actually written. The first nine books that I published were self-published. This book I signed to an agent last year and they're going to be taking me to, well, I can't say the publishing house yet, but they're we're going to be presenting this week to some different publishing oh, houses. Wow. And it, it was it's one of the hardest things I've ever done is writing a that. book proposal. Thank you. That makes me feel better because I'm like, why is this so Hard. <laughs> yeah. Hard. It's hard. It's hard. So yeah. you're not alone. Um, are you completed with it? Um, I'm almost, you know, I think, I think what it is, is that, and I'm sure you can relate to this when you have so much knowledge on a, on a subject. And I, I remember this used to happen when I first started teaching yoga. It's like, it's very, sometimes it's very difficult to, to, to distill what it is that you actually want to focus on. Because if you can take one subject and go 20 different directions with it, you have to decide which direction you're going to go with it. And that's actually has been a harder process for me than than I anticipated. I get that 100 percent because you're just in your brain. You're like, OK, well, this is important, but is it important enough for me to mention? Or then it's like, well, I need to mention this very, very small thing. But even yes. though it's small, it's actually very detailed and I need to explain the details. So. I totally get it. Totally okay. get it. Okay, good. <laughs> Let me know how I can support you in that if you need any Thank support. Thank you. Thank you. My final question of the day. This podcast is called the Free Your Energy Podcast. Free Your Energy. When you hear those words, and you know that this is the last time that the listener may hear your voice today, what are your closing remarks? What comes to you? What does free your energy mean to you? Move your body. Dance. Walk, swim, run, lift weights, 
always, it's always, for me, it's always going to be going to your physiology. If you are sick and tired, you can go for a walk. You can breathe deeply. You can lift your arms up alongside your ears. You can stretch on the floor, but move your body. That's always what it's going to mean to me. Thank you for listening to today's episode of the Free Your Energy podcast. Reviews are everything. Please leave a review wherever you listen to podcasts. I hope this helped you. I hope it served you. And I hope you continue to free your energy.